Right. This is the A. I'm Reg Clay, usually with Norman G. But uh, Norman is not with us right now because he's working. He's a working actor. But I have a fantastic uh, person, uh, someone that I've known for a long time, and I'm so happy to have her here, Jamie Lee Roberts. Jamie Lee, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, I know it's been a while since you've been on the stage, but I remember you. You and I uh, were on, I believe it was the Phoenix Theater, and we did, um, I'm looking at the poster right there, the Texas Chainsaw Musical. Which was a long time ago, written oh, by Corey Bytoff. Right. Oh, you didn't even remember, did you? I remember. <laughs> oh, you but you were so polite. You were like, "Yeah, Reg Clay, Reg Clay," but where do I know him from? <laughs> no, no, because I did it. No, it's Sorry. okay. I did that staged reading with you. Oh, that's right. Play. That's that's right because uh, I um, I wrote Foreman in Paris and I've talked about that and that became a production and actually it's published so it's a published piece of work and I'm looking at the book right there and you were involved because you were Ellen uh, in the, it was the first stage reading I did three readings so, yeah that and you I want to thank you because you helped in developing you know that project of mine. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, but that was where I knew you from, Texas Chainsaw Musical. Do you That's have fond memories right. of that? <laughs> I sure do. Yeah, Alex Frankel was in it. Uh, Nick um, Nick Bain, I think that's his name, Nick Bain. He was Eddie. Um, there were a bunch of other folks. Um, I can't remember the uh, the woman who um, who directed it. But in any case, no, it was fun. It was part of the uh, the Fringe Festival. We had to hurry up and get in and get out, and it was just very zany. And uh, now I know it was also in the Willows. Uh, it was it was done in the Willows Theater. Were you a part of that as well? Yes, I was. Yeah, it must have been fun. It was really fun. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And um, and also you're you're um, you're a teacher. I believe you teach children. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. I do. Can you talk about that. Right. So um, I teach dance and I teach theater. Um, to babies all the way from 27 months to 12 years old. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really great. Um, I work at a couple different places. I get contracted out, but mm-hmm. I mostly learned, I kind of learned on the job. Yeah. And, you know, it's a combination of improvisation, mm-hmm. um, dance, theater. It's really, it's really great. Yeah, I was looking on um, your Facebook page. There's a thing called the Lieberman Foundation. Are you familiar with that or Lieberman something? So Lieber, if it's the same one I'm thinking about, yeah. I actually, something completely separate. I worked uh, for a company called Lieberman Productions for okay. about seven years. Okay, got it. And that has nothing to do with theater or, or the arts, or does it? No, it's actually a commercial advertising company. Maybe okay. you've heard of Proactive. Oh, sure. So they're known for doing all the commercials. And I infomercials for proactive. Oh, oh, very nice. Okay. I'm, we're always interested in what actors do, you know, in their day jobs or, you know, things to supplement, you know, their, their careers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was one of the best jobs I ever had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. And, you know, we've had uh, actors who also, like Norman teaches, he actually teaches um, um, high school students. Well, he does each one reach one which focuses on going into the juvenile facilities to teaching uh, folks who have been incarcerated using theater to change their lives. We've had uh, Danny Martin, who teaches uh, young preschool kids and, and kids in junior high school 
uh, to enrich their lives. And now you are uh, going all the way to toddlers um, to using dance to um, to get them involved in art. I think that's a wonderful thing. Are you having fun doing it? I'm having a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you uh, do you set your own um, what do they call it criteria or do you have your you know there's some there's some um, schools they they they'll give they'll tell you what to do but sometimes you can you can do your own thing which is for you the studio that i work for has its own curriculum mm -hmm. so i you know i pretty much try to follow that curriculum but cool. you know when you work with kids you have to have a lot of flexibility sure sure of course <laughs> and i guess i've sort of you know come up with some of my own things along the way too yeah uh, but a lot of it really has to do with just being present in yeah. the room with the kids and okay. kind of seeing what their needs are. Sure. Now, imagine there's not a lot, there's not choreography. I guess it's just for the kids to have fun. Is that the objective? Number one is for them to have fun. Cool. Choreography really has to do with the age range. Sure, sure, I understand. I'd say six or seven is the sweet spot for yeah. that. Yeah, and I guess you'd be the first one to know if they have a talent. You know, there are a lot of kids that don't know, or the parents that don't know, just have a talent until a teacher says, wow, you should focus on that that child. That's right. And sometimes, you know, most times you don't see it right away. Yeah. It takes time for that to unfold a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And you could really be surprised. Very cool. By the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was talking, there's a, another friend of mine, Radhika Rao, who also works with kids, and she focuses more on improvisation, which I think can also deal with dance. As a matter mm -hmm. of fact, there's another friend of mine, Cecilia Palmtech, she also talked about using, um, incorporating movement with theater, <clears throat> sort of like experimental theater. And we've talked about how emotions can sometimes pop up with... Um, if, if folks are hearing a sound, I'm right outside. I think someone's mowing the lawn or something like that. So, But in any case, um, do you sometimes find that, let's say, an emotion may pop up within a child during a movement or whatever, something that may, keep, that may be unexpected? Um, do you sometimes have to put on the, um, what am I trying to say, like a therapist cap or whatever? Or let's say so, something pops up that, 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 kept, that surprises you, if you know what I mean. You know, I'd say that's a really tough one because I'd say with kids, you know, when I first started, I tried to really analyze their emotions kind of from the inside out. Sure. And, you know, with the theater stuff, trying to, like, articulate how are you feeling and stuff. But with mm -hmm. kids, you really want to start from the outside in. Yeah. Right? You start with the movement. You get them up and going and stuff. And I don't know if this is answering your question. No, no, no. It's fine. Maybe another way of asking, um, you know, like when I was in elementary school, you had some kids who were just loving and caring and they just wanted to have fun. But there were some, you could tell, they were having some issues at home and they would act out. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the things where you're like, uh-oh, something's going on with that kid. Maybe I need to focus on that kid. Most definitely. My experience has been when you have a child that's acting out, give them something to do. Yeah. You don't want that child to be bored. A lot of times they need something to do. Sure. You know, so um, I try not to get too analytical in their head with the kids because a lot of them just aren't there cognitively I yet. Hear you. Yeah. Um, but really, it's just about keeping it fun. 
Yeah. Would have been. Yeah. No, I totally hear you. That, yeah. that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Let's jump into an origin story. Usually with Norman and I, we get into politics or whatever, but he's not around. But I'd love to hear, um, because although we've worked together, because the way that the French Festival, I don't know if anyone's involved with the French Festival, it's really, you know, you jump in, you do it, you jump out, you know, we, our rehearsal time is very quick. And as a stage manager, it's not my job to bond with actors, so I don't really get to ask all of the intricate stuff that I would as a actor, you know, on stage. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot that I know about you, which is fun doing this <laughs> podcast because I can learn. Let's hear an origin story. How did you get involved in theater? Where did you grow up? I grew up in San Diego. All right. Yep. And uh, I started going to the uh, Chula Vista High School for Craven Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in junior high, I played the trumpet. And I, I would have never have known that. <laughs> I did, but I had a couple experiences yeah. with that. Um, I fell off the bleachers oh, no. during a solo, and yeah. I, like, slid. Um, you know, it was in a gym, so yeah. the floor was very slippery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you can laugh at it now, but did you hurt yourself? Not really. Okay. I was still holding the trumpet. <laughs> okay, there you go. You're a trooper. I, yeah, it was more embarrassing than anything. <laughs> Do you have any siblings? Yeah. You have a sister, right? I have a half-sister and a half-brother, and they okay. live in San Diego. Oh, right on. Yeah. Are, were they, are they involved in arts at all? Nope. Okay, they're, just you. They're like, they were beach kids. My brother was like a skater. My yeah. sister, she's very much into like marine biology and grooming dogs and stuff. Yeah. I was the artsy one. Okay. Yeah. I've often said, you know, when I lived in D.C., if I had to choose another place to live, I love San Francisco, but I think San Diego would be another place that I would just love to be around. It sounds like the weather's always wonderful, beaches and all that stuff. It's really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Now, were, what was your first um, acting role? I mean, did you act when you were in the, when you were a child? No, I didn't. Not till I got to high school. Hmm. And my high school was very uh, competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe the first show I was in, I was understudy. I played the role of Bunny in Good News. Okay. Um, and then my senior year, we left to Sacramento, so I didn't really get a chance to do many shows at the school I was at. Oh, I see. Um, but yeah, I'd say the first, actually, the first big show I did was when I was 21. It was called Love from a Stranger. Mm-hmm. It was this two-and-a-half-hour British drama, mm. and my husband was like 40 years old. <laughs> so how you felt about that. The actor was 40 years old. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, sometimes you have to deal with that. Well, I mean, I yeah. I remember doing, uh, I did One Tin in the Shade at the uh, the Douglas Morrison Theater, and I was probably already um, in my mid-40s, and the actor, Dak Chris, who was my love interest, had just come out of uh, college, so I'm sure she wasn't too thrilled with having me, but I could hit the notes, I could act, so there you go. <laughs> well, it's good practice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what prompted the move to Sacramento? Well... Um, you know, my mother, mm-hmm. she, she had, we had family up to Sacramento and we actually moved quite a bit okay. uh, when I was a kid and a teenager. Yeah. So it really wasn't a big deal for me. Okay, it, well, I cool. mean, it kind of was, but, um, yeah, I couldn't but really you tell you. No, no, I, yeah, I, no, I hear you. <laughs> um, when my, you know, my parents divorced when I was seven years old, well, they separated when I was seven years old and I did a lot of moving around, jumping from school to school. And it was quite unstable until mm-hmm. 
my dad remarried, and I jumped into Duke Ellington School of the Arts. So we have something in common. Oh, we wow. both went to an arts high school. Yeah. And it really was a life-changing thing for me. It was like, wow, this is fun, and I can actually, you know, get on stage. Everyone's creating. It was sort of like Fame. Remember Fame, the yes. television show? Yeah. Yeah. So it was very much like that for me, and I imagine it was the same for you. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, cool. Yeah, doing – when I discovered drama acting in, mm-hmm. in like, ninth grade, yeah. the thing was I really liked to sing, mm-hmm. but it was very competitive at my school, and mm-hmm. I would keep trying out for the show choir, and the choir, for some reason, I never got in. Mm. But with the drama um, – it was just easier to do that. Yeah. And I really fell in love with the craft of acting. Yeah, yeah, so did I. My dad is a singer, as a matter of fact, that's a picture of him there. And he always had like oh. a R&B group in the 70s, and that was his thing. Wow. And he thought that I would sort of do the same thing. But I was like, no, I liked acting. And he never really understood that. But it's the same thing. You could get in. It doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to be, you know, you could be big, you could be small, you could be, you know, any type and any, you know, emotional range. There will always be a, a role or a part for you. And that's a wonderful thing about theater in itself. That's right. Yeah. Now, you're a singer as well. Uh, have you been in musicals? Do you do musicals? Have I you, have do. Done, go ahead. Yeah. I have done musicals. And, yeah, um, like I said, the, the last show that I was in before mm-hmm. my daughter was born was Xanadu. Yeah. And that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Cool. I would guess you're a soprano. I'm a mezzo. Mezzo-soprano? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever go to college for theater? I did. I went to CSULA. Rock on. And I discovered dance there. They <laughs> had a theater dance department there. Nice. So I started dancing when I was 24. Very cool. And I just kind of jumped in. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I guess you would consider me a, a singer, an actor who moves. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, my, my best experience at that school was definitely the dancing, for sure. No, no, that, yeah. I, um, and I, I, you know, we had movement when I was in, um, in high school. Um, and it was very different from the dance department where, you know, they focus on plies and, and you know, and grand, I forget the, the terms and all that stuff, but... It was very, very precise, and of course, you had to have the particular body. And there were so many, there were so many young girls who were like stressing out because you know they thought they were too big, and you know they weren't big at all, and very, very competitive. Whereas the movement that we did in theater was just you know like do a basic choreography, tap dancing, do you tap dance? I wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we did all sorts of uh, cool stuff. That what is type, cool. What type of uh, techniques, you know, Norman and I, we always talk about, like, method and uh, Stanislavski and beats and objectives. Did you learn any of that stuff? I did. So I studied. I did a theater workshop in New York um, oh, right on. Mm-hmm. in 2008, mm-hmm. and um, they did Stanislavski. Yeah. And it was only a seven-week workshop, and... Uh, for that old seven weeks, it was all about relaxation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if you can be relaxed, then you can do so much more than if you've got your nerves going. Yeah. You know. I hear you. Yeah. Did you apply? Um, you know, there are a lot of folks who they learn things in school and it sort of just goes by the wayside because it never applied to them. And there's some who use that technique every time they're on stage. Were there some of those techniques that you used? Um, that you held on to? 
Absolutely. Yeah, like the relaxation, like you were talking relaxation, about. Relaxation, you got to center yourself before you do anything. Awesome. You know, mm-hmm. you take that moment, you breathe, you separate yourself from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And you really kind of think about what it is you're going to be doing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think if you don't center yourself, then you're kind of. That's like, right. You know, where am I? What's going on? <laughs> you sure. Know? Yeah. You know, let's say if you're doing, uh, I don't know, a period piece and you have to be in um, Victoria, England, or, um, you know, you can't just step out of, let's say, you know, like you had a hard day at work and, you know, you have to center yourself and you have to forget about all the noise and just, you know, get to a place where. You you know you're you know you're you're centered and you're relaxed and then you can step into that universe or that role that you're in. That's right. Yeah. I also feel like there's something to be said for spontaneity, though. Yeah. And um, you know what is it Meisner where you're kind of going off the other actors. That's right. Right. So that's not quite in your head as much. Yeah. And you need a sense of relaxation and a sense of attentiveness. You have to be really in tune to your partner to pick up everything that he or she is giving you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What were some – well, what what brought you – so, you know, you were in Sacramento. You did some work in New York. How long did you stay in New York? Yeah, so that was just a workshop. I was a student there. I was there for seven weeks. I stayed in Brooklyn. I studied the Circle in the Square Theater School. It was Ah. amazing. Yeah, was that 50th and Broadway? I don't remember exactly. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was Midtown. Okay, yeah. Yeah, one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, 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 it was awesome. I mean, (laughs) I haven't haven't been back to New York since 90, I want to say 92. But, um, no, it was a fantastic experience. So what brought you to the Bay? Well, I came here to finish college when I was 22. I, I had a friend. Her and I had vacationed up here. And back then, it was 2002. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I love the artistic vibe. I love that you could get around on Muni, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, so I decided to finish school up in San Francisco. Very nice. Yeah. 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 And you, I guess you discovered the Bay Area theater scene here. Um, was now, when you did the Texas Chainsaw Musical, was that the first show that you did in San Francisco, or had you done some stuff beforehand? So I had done some stuff beforehand. I, um, I was working with NCTC mm-hmm. quite a bit. I did some of their school tours. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, God, I believe one was HIV Awareness. Um, and then I also worked with the theater company, um, Puss Theater. Okay. <laughs> Performers Under Stress. Ah, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, they do, like, absurdist plays, like Beckett and, you know, other new works and sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Um, and so, yeah, but really before I started doing that, I, I, I met someone when I was in college, and then we moved to L.A. for three years, mm-hmm. so. And then coming back, it was I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to dive into the theater here. Okay. Because I graduated college by then. Sure, I, sure. I went to a lot of different colleges. Yeah. <laughs> That's Wait. what happens when you fall in love. It just changes everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I imagine, you know, it's, it's um, you know, I've, there are many women who are like, well, you know, you, you sacrifice and you give up, you know, a part of yourself to do what, you know, the other person's doing. Yes, you do. And around, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which can be unfortunate, you know, because you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. So how did you? I'm thinking about the uh, the Texas Chainsaw. I mean, did you did you just see a post in? How did you get involved in that? 
You know, I don't really remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hardly remember myself. I knew, I've known Linda Ayers Frederick for years. And so she um, she uh, connected me with, um, oh, see, I, the, the director's name just flashed in my, and I can't remember her name. But in any case, I think Linda Ayers Frederick, you know, said, hey, someone needs a stage manager. You know, why don't you, you know, um, work with this group? And also, there's also a guy, uh, Bert von Alsberg mm. who does sets and I think he was also involved but um no, it was a wonderful experience and I thought you were just fantastic I mean and Thank it was just, just a, it was just a really really brief moment but you can tell there are people you just remember you know there are people just stick in your memory and uh, you know it was a very quick thing you were of course the love interest for Eddie and it was very <laughs> silly musical about you know this guy who's a serial killer and can he find well actually the real love interest was um oh i forget the the woman's um was it was it carly 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 pollack yeah yeah, yeah. she's great yeah so you know there was the she, and she was sort of the uh there was sort of um the bad girl good girl thing mm-hmm. she was sort of the bad girl you were sort of the good girl mm-hmm. but but it was fun it was a, it was a fun thing and uh that was part of the fringe um yeah. As far as just theater life in the Bay in general, when you were involved in it, I mean, did you enjoy yourself? Were you frustrated? Were you worried about, you know, I'm not making any money, I'm not advancing? Um, What was your experience? Well, it's interesting that you asked that because, yes, I I was struggling because I'm the kind of person that I like to be able to buy things. I like nice things. A lot of people do. Of course. And – I realized, you know, I was trying out for things and then not getting into some things, as most people do. Yeah. But I decided, I was like, you know what? I need a job with insurance. Yeah. And so I was also in a relationship that I felt was kind of um, hindering me from being able to put myself into performing. Yeah. It was kind of distracting me. Yeah. So I kind of decided to get a nine-to-five job with insurance. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I'd kind of do little things here and there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I kind of realized having moved from L.A., San Francisco wasn't really a union town. That's right. And, and we've, we've had a lot of folks who are equity, and they're like, my equity card doesn't mean anything here in the Bay Area because yeah. all of the jobs are elsewhere. And it's tough. I mean, and, and a lot of my friends who are actors, they all have day jobs. They're all doing other things. or They're doing multiple, multiple shows because – they can't get by just doing one little show. Uh, they have to do multiple shows. And it's interesting you mentioned as far as just balancing a family. You know, you have a you have a young daughter, right? That's right. Yeah. How, uh, what's her name? Her name is Annabelle. Okay. And um, how old is she? She's six years old. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've had um, some ladies on, and they've talked about balancing uh, motherhood and some of the sacrifices you have to make. Um Cecilia Palmtag, who was a wonderful actress, she was in Hedda Gobbler as Hedda. She uh, directed, you know, she was part of a theater company. And um, then her marriage uh, sort of broken up, and she had to be a single mother, and she really had to just push away pretty much all a lot of uh, what she dreamed on and built on. And in our interview, you know, she I had her on, I think she's episode, I can't remember, uh, she's episode 34, uh, for those who want to listen. She talked about reading an article saying that um, if a woman enters a particular age, then her expectation of being a superstar – I don't believe the article at all, but the expectations just go away. 
like, you know, once you've hit the age 29, 30, or 31, or something like that. And it's really cruel. Can you talk about, um, if you can, just balancing um, motherhood, maybe not with, with acting, but just with um, just your art? Um, I'll just leave it, throw it at, uh, at that. Sure. Well, I have to say that mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. Yeah. I think, really, when you have life experiences, you really just, you can use that towards your art. Sure. I mean, look at, was it Betty White? That's right. She's 92, 93 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I have full intentions of going back into acting at some point. And I know that the experiences that I've had the past few years are only going to add to it. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. I, I feel that inside of me. Awesome. Um. So I really think that's what's beautiful about acting. Yeah. Is if the work's not out there, you can create it. That's right. You know? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have your life experiences, then what do you have? Right. You know? Yeah. And every experience is so individual that why wouldn't it make good art? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so um, I think... You were asking about balancing motherhood. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm so oh, happy okay. to hear that you you haven't given up. You haven't said, well, listen, I've no. got a, I've got a, I've got a daughter now, and I've just got to take care of her, and that's pretty much it. Uh, we had Priya Gayadine, and um, you were listening to uh, that podcast. She talks about she and she talks specifically about not letting you know motherhood derail her dreams, and also bringing I think her um, her son's name. Oh, shucks. I'm, I'm getting kids' names confused. She's going to kill me. But in any case, it was important for her to bring her son into the rehearsal process. There were times she was in my play, Foreman in Paris, and her son got to see her on stage. She was like, wow, my mom isn't just a mom who fixes meals or whatever, but she's she has, a, she has an old individual being, and she's doing things. And that was important for her to see have her son see her in a different light. And I think her son is five, six years old. So I'm glad that you, you still hold on to that. You haven't, you haven't let that go, but, 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 but you're right. It is difficult. Well, it's, it's good to hear that somebody else is doing that because I've also been lucky enough to be able to integrate my daughter into like shows that I've directed and either she'll be in a show Mm -hmm. with me or, you know, I'll say, listen, I've got to bring her with me. And there's people that have been okay with it. Which is good. And I also look at that as being um, a part of her development, mm-hmm. you know. So I feel really lucky that I can do that. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> fantastic. You mentioned directing. I didn't know that you directed. What show yeah. did you direct? Well, I'm, I've been working as a teaching artist, director mm-hmm. uh, for different elementary schools, doing cool. different shows that they put on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, did you have any um, um, training for that? Just my bachelor's degree. Okay. You know, you kind of learn a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, in college, so. Because um, I would have yeah. problems with staging things. Like, I, you know, like not to upstage this or block this or, you know, what's the perfect picture, that sort yeah. of thing. Well, with kids, it's all about formations. Yeah. You kind of have to have it already prepared before you go in. Yeah. That's that's a smart thing. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. I've I've had some ladies on, and they've talked about how they were treated as women um, in the rehearsal process. Um, Radhika Rao, and I bring this up all the time because I think it's so important to talk about. Um, 
she did a piece. I think it was um, it was a Shakespearean piece. I'm trying to remember what it was. Maybe it was Romeo and Juliet. But basically, she was the leading lady, and the director wanted an intimate kiss. And um, she felt uncomfortable, but uh, the director didn't pick up on it. The stage manager didn't pick up on it. And the rehearsal process just went on and on for a couple of hours. And uh, she wanted someone to sort of check in. And she got the feeling that the way it was being staged was pure titillation, and it had nothing to do to strengthening the play. Have you had to go through any sort of either sexual harassment or just sort of um, gender inequality in theater? You know, um, if I have, I couldn't. I can't say that that's really something that ever stood out to me. Okay. Or maybe it it happened and I wasn't aware of it. Sure, but there's never been yeah. time where you felt uncomfortable, or let's say a director has asked you to do something you really didn't want to do. Oh yeah, I'd say in that first show that I was in, I had to kiss my quote unquote. That's husband. right, the forty year old. Yeah. And I remember struggling with that a lot. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't really know to, like, say anything about it. I just thought, this is what I have to do. You have to listen to the director. Yeah. That's the protocol. Yeah. You know? But do you think, in general, is gender inequality or how women are treated on stage, is it an issue, do you think? Just in general, just as an observer. Like they've been talk about, even in the television industry, women aren't paid as much as men. Right. And they should be. You know... I can't say that that's something that, in my experience, I have observed okay, um, or even really noticed. Sure. I've always kind of felt like, really, the inequality has to do with the power differential between the director yeah. and the actors. Yeah. Um, that I've noticed. That oh, I see. you always kind of do. Now, this was, for me, you know, I, I, it's been a long time ago since I've been in a show. Sure. I know things have changed. Yeah. I don't really know how things are now. Yeah. In, in adult theater. Yeah. But I do know that when I was doing it, it was kind of like, you do what the director says. Yeah. I remember being a young actor coming out of school and just being hungry and not realizing yeah. the power that a director has. Right. There was, there was a, um, an article that it was actually a Christian um, production where an actor died. An actor was um, put on some sort of a uh, wire, and there were no protocols, and the person just fell and, and, and died. Because <clears throat> the director had a vision and uh, didn't care about safety at all. And unfortunately, you know, the actors were like, well, we don't want to do it, but the director says do it, so we do it, which, right. which is unfortunate. Well, you know, being somebody who's been on both ends, mm -hmm. I can kind of, and I'm not justifying what the director did, but sure. I, and you probably know this too, when, mm -hmm. when you're in that role, yeah. once you get going with a vision, it can be hard to stop. Sure. So... That can be challenging to have to change gears and then be aware of, yeah. you know, the safety and all that. But yeah. um, you, you have to do it. Yeah, and also we've been, we've been tr talking throughout the podcast, throughout the Yay podcast, actors should take on the empowerment role. You can say, listen, we've got to stop this right now because I don't feel safe. And we need to talk. And, you know, you're asking me to do things I don't want to do. We had um, Cecilia Maurice. And Cecilia Maurice is a veteran actress from England. 
and uh, she won a TBA award for the birthday party. And I, you know, she's a very good friend of mine. And she stopped her production. She was like, listen, this is an unsafe environment, and I don't give a damn what your vision is. We're going to stop this right now. And a lot of actors feel, oh, I can't do that. You know, people hate me or, you know, people, what will people think? But sometimes you have to do it. If the director won't take your safety in question, you have to do it yourself. I agree. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Which is why equity is important. And um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You've got that full <clears throat> support. Yeah. You know, sometimes when when you don't have a full team, right. you know, it can be hard for one or two people to be looking at all of that other stuff. Right, 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 exactly. And, you know. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, gender equality, uh, j- uh, just to get on uh, current events, just because uh, I'm, I'm always interested in here, um, a woman's perspective. What do you think about the Me Too movement? Um, just, you know, like, it, it just seems like there's a whole new world now that Trump, Donald Trump has been elected. Where all sorts of movements and uh, protests have been going on. Were you shocked when Donald Trump was elected? Yes, I was. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember waking up and being really scared mm. and really nervous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I ask these questions, I have no idea whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs> so sometimes That's I don't know when I'm stepping on the third rail. Yeah. Well, sometimes you don't know. Like, you know, there is, it's, it's interesting. I had a friend of mine. I was talking to him, and I've known him for years. And I'm like, oh, you know, we're buddies. And and all of a sudden, we get to talking about uh, Trump. And this is like a recent conversation I had. And he's like, oh, he's misunderstood. He's okay. And I'm like, oh, no, I've known you all this time. And I didn't had no idea that you were a conservative. I've had friends that I grew uh, that I graduated from uh, Duke Ellington School of the Arts, um, black Republican, and I'm like, oh no, and it just sort of it. We it's have you had that experience where let's say you talk to a friend and all of a sudden, because of today's political environment, you're like, oh wait a minute, now I know who my real friends are, or um, you know who's really on my side or who not. I mean, I shouldn't I shouldn't say sides. Sides is a bad thing, but but you've had that experience. Yeah, I've I've had some things happen that have kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Are you um are you emboldened by the Me Too movement where you know women are speaking up on you know their experiences with men? You know what? I don't know what emboldened means. Yeah. The the word that you just gave. Emboldened. In other words, women speaking out, uh, basically saying, "Listen." You did this to me. I didn't say anything about it beforehand, but I'm saying something now to your boss, uh, to an ex-boyfriend. You know, remember three or four years ago, you know, we were together and, you know, you did this and I didn't say anything. But really looking back on it, like, uh, you know, even the the Kavanaugh hearings, Mm -hmm. there's so many women who had a visceral reaction when the woman was like, listen, I know what you did when we were in high school. Mm -hmm. And yet... You know, Congress is like, well, what, whatever. We're going to elect you anyway. I mean, how did you feel when that happened? So I actually attend the school that she teaches at. Is that right? Yeah. Dr. Ford? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm part of the online program. Yeah. She, I believe, I don't want to say too much about her, but I'm sure, sure the information's already out. But, yeah. Um, so it's actually a psychology school. Mm-hmm. And so um, – when I heard her testimony, mm-hmm. and also with the um, education that I've had, mm-hmm. uh, of course I took her side. 
it, 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 I think even if you don't have any sort of psychology education or yeah. you know anything like that, um, it's easy to see her how genuine she is. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I was definitely struck by that, and I don't think she did it for attention. Yeah. I you know it, it was clearly something that she had been holding in for a long time that had really affected her life. Yeah. She seemed very vulnerable, and I, I just authentically felt for her. And, you know, working in the DA's office, I'm always looking at both sides. Like, okay, yeah, this is a victim statement, but, you know, what are the facts and all that stuff? But Kavanaugh himself just seemed very, um, you know, as if he were the victim, you know, just chastising the very fact that someone could question him. And I'm like, you know, how can a judge act this way? But – He's now the Supreme Court justice, and you know, I'm, I'm like, how, you know, what is this world? What is this America that I'm living in? Um, do you are you more um, are you optimistic about the future, or are you more pessimistic? I believe that we are resilient, and that we are going through this for a reason. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, change is inevitable. There's always some sort of shifting point, and mm -hmm. I believe we are at one right now. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to be fine. I mean, I don't know if things are going to get messier before they get better. Yeah. I do think that, you know, there's definitely a paradigm mm -hmm. shift. There's a power differential going on right now, and there's yeah. a lot of pushback. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. But I think that um, – Especially if you look at our younger generation, yeah. our woke generation, yeah. they are so much a part of what's going to be happening in our future. Yeah. And I'm so proud of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I look at the kids at Stoneman Douglas, you know, like uh, doing a protest to to get rid of assault weapons bans, uh, you know, get, get rid of assault weapons. And they're doing the best that they can. It's amazing right. that, you know, in I think it was the uh, there was a massacre in New Zealand. And it didn't take but a moment for them to write legislation to get rid of assault weapons there. And we're still going through, you know, uh, debates, you know, here in America. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to have assault weapons or automatic weapons, any of that sort of stuff on the streets. I agree. But yeah. I also think that, I mean, my personal opinion, I don't know how educated it is, but, you know, there's that whole, that underground web thing. What mm -hmm. do they call that? The dark web. The dark web, yeah, sure. And the people that are in charge, do they even know about that? I mean, I mean, I kind of feel like maybe a lot of that stuff is not even happening in legally. Yeah. So how do we even get a grasp on on that? I mean, I could be wrong. I don't yeah. know. That's just kind of what I'm thinking. Sure. You mean the existence of the dark the web? The existence of the dark web where yeah. there's these weapon exchanges going on. Oh, oh I, I understand what you're saying. That yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. you can change laws all you want, but if it's oh, happening people, people underground, have, yeah, yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. happening illegally, yeah. how do you get a grasp on that? Well, sure. No, I totally understand. I mean, I look at the, like, gun sh like you know, when, when Columbine happened, um, Basically, the you know, D Klebold and Dylan, whatever the kids were, they they had a young girl go to a, a gun store, gun show. I'm sorry, and they bought and bought the weapons. You know, these gun shows. I w I would think that that would need to be banned. This is just my own personal opinion. I know people have uh, Second Amendment rights. They believe, well, I have the right to own a gun. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if you're a hunter, maybe that's fine. If you're a grocery store owner, I used to work for a bank, 
and uh, they would have these individuals, you know, bring in deposits and they would have large amounts of cash. And, of course, they would be under the risk of getting mugged. And so they would have like a little, you know, revolver to protect themselves. Right. I, I, sure, I can buy that. But as far as the AKs and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, you can have all of the laws all you want. That's not going to stop anything. But doing nothing and justifying you know, people having a weapon, like, you know, hearing Dana Loesch of the NRA talk about, you know, this is empowerment and, and all of this sort of stuff. It just drives me crazy. But um, but getting back to you, um, your little girl, oh, so she's she's uh, seven years old, eight? She's six. Six, six years old. Mm-hmm. She's about, she's a, almost around the age where you could sort of having, you know, like, I wouldn't say serious conversations, but I know when I was seven or eight years old, I started asking why. Why this, why that, and all that sort of stuff. Um, for a young girl, have you thought about conversations about um, just empowerment, how she's going to, I don't know, exist in the world where, you know, they say that, you know, a woman is, is hit on, I don't know, maybe five times every day or something like that or just um, that sort of stuff. She's probably too young right now, but have you thought about a conversation you've had with her? Yes, I I think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, she's a very bright girl. She's very curious. Cool. Um, so she does ask me a lot of why questions, but mm-hmm. I always have to kind of make sure, is this really appropriate for us to be talking about right now? Sure. Because I kind of don't want to give her too much information because she has a tendency to, like, worry about things. Oh, okay. So if I feel like she might worry about it, then I'll you know, change the subject or something. Yeah, so. you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, um, which is a wonderful trait, you know, worrying because <laughs> it, it, you know, it appears she has empathy, yeah. which is a very, very important thing. I have another podcast. Earlier this morning I had a Christian podcast, and we talked about empathy and how a lot of young kids, especially young kids who uh, are troubled kids, they get to act out and lash out and do dangerous things, and if it's not put in check, then they'll become teenagers who do dangerous things and adults who do dangerous things. And you sort of have to instill empathy and caring about other people at a very, very early age. And it sounds like uh, your daughter has that already. Yes. Yes, she does. No, that's good. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's an important thing. <laughs> it's an important thing. How, uh, how easy, how difficult has it been being a, um, a single parent? If we could talk about that. Yeah. So, um, so I actually co-parent with her dad and okay. his, um, he has a wife and she has two other sisters over there. So, you know, it was really hard at first and, um, it still has, there's still challenging days. Sure. It's, I treat it like a job. It's mm-hmm. really like another job. You have mm-hmm. a business relationship with these people and, um, you know, when something happens, it can be really stressful. Yeah. But um, you kind of learn what's best for the child. Mm-hmm. You know, really, you got to think about your child. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's definitely not easy. Well, it yeah. sounds like the two of you are on the same page as far as, you know, what she needs and not, you know, putting any personal differences in, fr- in, in ahead of the needs of the child, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. It's gotten easier as we've gone along. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It gets easier, um, especially as the child gets older mm-hmm. and the child can communicate more. Yeah. Um, the child, my daughter. Of course, of <laughs> course. Yeah. 
But yeah, but when she was a baby and, you know, uh, you couldn't really ask her what's going on, sure. then there's a lot of confusion and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Assumptions. Well, yeah. You know. Well, you've gone through the, uh, what is the turbulence? You've gone through the turbulence and now it sounds like you're, it's yeah. more smooth sailing now. Well, that's, that's good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think my dad, if I had to ask my dad, I'll be visiting, going back home to DC on Mother's Day and uh, I'll talk with both mom and dad, but... I think they would have tested the same thing because by the time they things were not going well, I was already seven or eight years old, so it was a lot easier to to handle things. Um, let me check the time here. Well, it's forty. Uh, yeah, we're forty five minutes. I think we got fifty more minutes in. So, do you have a game plan as far as getting back into you know the the theater? I mean, do you do readings? You know, I've thought about it, mm-hmm. but. I'm actually in grad school now oh. for counseling. Okay. And so I'm about to start my practicum in late summer, my yeah. internship. So, um, you know, I've thought about it. Yeah. And, I, you know, I always fantasize about doing theater again. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of having the time for it because it's fun, but it's also work. Sure, sure. <laughs> and you know, if, you, if you're not going to be paid that much, then you know, can you really justify it? Now, you're going. Are you going? Are you thinking about being a counselor? Yes. Right on. Yeah. Therapy? That's right. Oh, that's fantastic. I always talk about therapy and theater. Um, I had a teacher say theater is therapeutic, but it's not therapy. You know, a lot of people. Yes. I've had some um, friends of mine in college. They uh, would take a theater course, but a lot of emotions and a lot of things from the past that they have no closure over will come out because, you know, theater have a way of bringing out emotions. Definitely. Although perhaps there's some use for it, it's not useful on the stage because obviously, you know, you have a job to do. You, you have a character that you need to develop and all of that stuff. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fantastic. Um, so when you when you get your, I mean, when you get your therapy license, are you going to be working with children or, or with adults? Well, I'd like to do family work. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. My practicum is going to be um, school-based. Okay. Um. So I, I'll be able to work with families in that regard because you yeah. bring parents into the session. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's hard to find an internship that um, is straight family yeah. work in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I'll be doing. That's fantastic. Yeah. We need we we'll, we need we need a lot of it. I mean, we need <coughs> therapy, and you know, therapy doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong with you. It just means that you know you get to talk about things. That um, can be difficult to talk about, whatever that thing may be. And there's nothing more important than family, you know, keeping things together. That's right. Um, you've been in the Bay for, let's see, how long have you been in the Bay? Since, has it been 12, 15 years? Oh, longer than that. On and off since 2002. Yeah. <laughs> have, have you, I'm sure, man, you've seen a lot of changes uh, in the Bay Area. Um, has it been positive or negative for you? Do you think you'll move? Mm. Well, you know, um, the Bay is definitely my home, mm-hmm. um, but I'd say it's been very challenging financially wise. Sure. Um, if I could move, I probably would. I'd mm-hmm. probably move back to San Diego. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think if you can be resilient and, mm-hmm. you know, you can definitely make it here. You could find a way, but, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I'd say just the prices are insane. The prices are very, very insane. <laughs> I mean, I've had to move. Um, 
I had one, you know, uh, landlady uh, raise my price to, you know, uh, just a ridiculous amount, and I had to move to Hercules to stay with a friend of mine, and the commute killed me, and then I moved to Fruitvale, and, you know, the neighborhood was not that great, and then finally I found myself here in Jack London Square, which is fantastic. Crossing my fingers, I hope that I could stay here for as long as I can, but it's tough. I think I told yeah. you off mic that I've had some friends of mine move away from the Bay because they just can't afford to stay here, which is a shame. There have even been theater companies that, you know, can't afford to stick around. Uh, the Darkroom Theater had to close its doors, and uh, there, there are a bunch of others. So it's sad. I mean, I know the tech industry is thriving, and, you know, maybe that shows growth, but, you know, there, there are people who are paying the price for it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough. A lot of my artist friends, it's it's they're trying to make it, and I'm sure you have the same thing. Sure. And it's like, you know, um, if they want us to stay and yeah. to continue to enrich the Bay, then, right. you know, pay us for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, it's funny. When I was doing Foreman in Paris, we had a tough time paying the actors, you know, because – you know, we just didn't have it. And luckily, you know, we had folks who were like, okay, you know, listen, I'm, I believe in the vision and, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and go ahead and do it. But it's really, really tough. And it's unfair. It's unfair to, to ask people to dedicate three months, usually doing a show, you know, two months of rehearsals, one month of doing the show. And you can't pay people, you know, um, what they deserve. I don't know how the actors are doing it now. Yeah. You know? It's like you have to just work and work and work and, and fit it in. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, I mean, it's always kind of been that way. Sure. But now, um, what are like four people moving in together? Is like, right. Is that, I'm not <laughs> assuming that everyone's hard up or anything. But, yeah. you know, um, if you're not or if you are, if, mm -hmm. if you don't come from money, then right. good luck to you. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's extremely tough. It's extremely tough. I was going to ask you, had you thought about doing, like, um, movies or television or, or commercials, that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, I spent some time in Hollywood, and, you know, that's always been a dream of mine. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as I get older, you know, I'm kind of going into a new career now, so. Yeah. Well, um. you know, you can still hold on. I mean, you know, <laughs> there are all sorts of doors opening up. I have a friend, Wiley Herman, and uh, he had been involved in theater, and then he stopped cold turkey. And then I guess he made some sort of connections, and and I saw I saw the Boots Riley movie, uh, Sorry to Bother You. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, I loved and, it. And he was in it. And I was like, we're all wow. right on. Bay Area actors. And Boots Riley is operating right here in the Bay Area. He is. Yeah. Oh. So, you know. That movie was so Oakland. <laughs> it was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was cool, you know, seeing all sorts of the sights of Oakland. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. That so, was so cool. There's a nice little renaissance of, um, of movies. Um, and even, you know, like black-themed movies or, or women-themed uh, movies. Um, there are all sorts of um, uh, people from all sorts of walks of life. You know, th th people are seeing themselves. On the on the screen, which is cool. Which oh, is very, very definitely. Cool. Yeah. 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 All righty. So um, let me let's see. We usually do a birthday shout out. So I'm going to look at uh, the Facebook to see who uh, the birthdays shout outs are. Marketplace where are we? events. Hey, here we go. My slow computer. All righty. 
so uh, birthdays, um, my sister Shantice, well, her, her birthday was on Friday. Also, a actor, uh, Fortunatos uh, Yabut, uh, we call him 40, a fantastic actor, and I uh, performed with him uh, in Godspell. His birthday was yesterday. He turned 33. And uh, let's see. Paulo Salazar, as a matter of fact, you're looking at a picture that Paulo uh, painted. He is a Philippine actor and uh, painter, and his birthday is on Monday. Let's see, Anna Kuchins uh, acted with her in um, Summer Shorts. Uh, that was a piece uh, created by uh, the late Mike Ward, and uh, her birthday is on Monday. Let's see, who else? Uh... Will Hammond, my man Will Hammond, his birthday is on Friday. Uh, he is a uh, he was also in one of the readings for Foreman in Paris, and also I wrote a musical called Nia, and he was involved oh, in that. Neat. Uh, I didn't you know, know if you knew that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's what's going on. And as far as events are concerned, so tonight is the opening for All the Way. That is a fantastic civil rights piece that talks about. The Lyndon B. Johnson administration or the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 64, mm-hmm. we had, um, oh, shucks, uh, we, we, um, we had Jay Cronengold. He's in the play, and he uh, is, um, he talked about that. Also, uh, Kari Moy and um, Kim Donovan and Terrence um, Smith is in that. Mm-hmm. So that opens up tonight. So, uh, I, I, you know, everyone should check that out. Yeah, so, the, yeah, there are a lot of uh, cool things going on. Um, okay, let me open up this thing here. Uh, yeah, all the way. That uh, that opens tonight, and it ends May the 5th, so you have plenty of times to see that. Also, the Mystery mystery of Irma Vep Role Players Ensemble, that is, opens also tonight, and it ends April the 28th, roleplayersensemble.com. A good friend of mine, Alicia Von Kugelgen, and Dana Lewenthal, uh, they're both in the play. Alicia is also a singer who transitioned into acting. And so um, and she and I have shared the stage a couple of times. Also, uh, Cutting Ball Theater, they are uh, finishing up La Ronde. Their last, um, the, the closing night is tomorrow. And a good friend of mine, Janae Simon, is in that. Also, Helen, um, by the Theater of Yugen. That uh, opened on March 29th, and it ends April the 27th. A good friend of mine, Adrian Dean, is in that, and uh, I interviewed her uh, episode 82. And so that is that. That's uh, what's going on. And um, and also, you're thinking about doing a podcast. I think you should do a podcast. <laughs> you think so? I think so. Could you help me with it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, you know, if you ever want to come on again, then, you know, we'll just talk or whatever. Let me know. Oh, did, you, did, you. You, did you have a good time? I had so much fun. Fantastic. I just love being heard <laughs> and, and listening to you. You're so good at this. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Usually I'm better with uh, Norman because, you know, there's the back and forth. But no, no. We had a wonderful conversation, and uh, like I said, it had been a long time, so it's like catching up old times. Absolutely. All right, so here's my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads, really any app that you use to listen to your podcast. You can look up the Yay, and you can find us. If you're an old stogie like me and you listen to your podcast on desktops or laptops or even in your car – um, you can uh, click on iTunes. I think there's there's iTunes. I don't. What app do you use on your car to listen to podcasts? 
Spotify. Spotify. See, there you go. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you use a laptop or a desktop, you can click on iTunes, click on store, use the search engine on the upper right-hand side. You're not going to buy anything, and you can find us. If you're an Android user, you can go on SoundCloud.com or just uh, use the SoundCloud app, and you can find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You can find me at Reg Space Clay. You can find Norman at HoosierHoosier.com. Hoosier Hoosier. Uh, Jamie Lee, do you have a um, Twitter or Instagram? Do you do any of those stuff? I do, but I don't have any of that stuff memorized. I'm, <laughs> I'm not really a social media yeah. person. But if anyone is looking for an actress, if you have the time for it, <laughs> and if you're willing to pay for her, 